Uh, I'm Jason, and he's Rich, and tonight on Remastered, we're talking about some of my very fondest memories, and I know Rich feels much the same way, because Star Trek played such a very large part in our childhoods, and I think I think the idea for this show, at least the launching point, because you know how we tend to scatter quickly, is to pinpoint our first conscious memories of seeing any kind of iteration of Star Trek. Yeah, this is going to be... I've been trying to think about it all week. And the only one I can clearly remember my absolute first viewing of is Next Gen. See, I was going to say that's probably something to mention is that you and I are more than likely in the last generation, the very last generation of kids who could say that they were exposed first to the original series. But it sounds like that might not be the case for you. No, I, I was very much aware of Star Trek and everything about it, I would say I was absolutely exposed to the original series, first of all. Definitely. Uh, you just can't remember actually seeing one of the crappy old Kirk and Spock shows first. That's it. I don't I don't remember the first time I saw one. I remember sort of... I remember being very little and it actually scaring me at one point. And I think it was the... I don't know the name of the episode, but the very famous one where there's the white and black and the black and white people. Uh, it's a season three one, I think. I can't remember the title either. I just remember being scared by that. And I'm talking very, very little. Um, and that's sort of my earliest memory of Star Trek. But it was just one of those things that was kind of always just there. Um, it was, there was always Star Trek around. Uh, even, gosh, I remember you, this will be meaningless to you, but a Coco Pops advert in the 80s that mentioned Mr. Spock. Because it uh, rhymes with Cocoa Pops, sort of. Now, see, I was much the same way with Star Wars, because Star Wars was like a consistent background. And even even before I can recall conscious memories, I, I know that Star Wars was, was around. Because I had Star Wars toys. I, according to my parents, used to play Star Wars with stuffed animals. All right. That's, uh, That's a good one. I, I can clearly remember the first time that I saw and became aware of Star Trek. And um, let's see, it would have been 1985 because my family was living in Oregon at the time. That's for for you UK folk that's on the West Coast, just north of California. But um, I lived there for about two years and it was a Sunday afternoon. I would have been five years old. I remember growing bored of playing with some toys and walking into the living room where my parents had both fallen asleep in front of the TV and there it was. And uh, it was it was the episode where Kirk and the Klingons have to fight off that evil energy being. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, and that I know that describes like twenty of the episodes, but uh, this is the one <laughs> where they where they win by laughing at it. I, no, it was, I think uh, I know the one you mean. It, it was Day of the Dove. Right. Yeah. I'll be that, inspired that to go and that, watch uh, that one later. It's actually not a bad one. <laughs> And I wonder what would have happened if had I like walked in on a, a really terrible one, like the one uh, y- you know Nazis on Earth kind of thing. I love the Nazis on Earth one. I could never stand any of the ones that were based on like uh, a Roman planet, Nazi planet, that sort of thing. Because yeah. it 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 felt like such a cop out. Even as a kid, I I knew it was like okay, they they didn't have a special effects budget this week. It kind of was, and it kind of wasn't. Are you aware of the story behind? the creation of such episodes because there were quite a few of them from my understanding it it was exactly that it was that they didn't have a whole lot of cash and they had to move it around for their set pieces 
that was, well, that would have been, that was sort of the root cause. It was kind of, we've not got much money. What can we do with not much money? And there's this theory that any civilization, when left long enough, will go through the same periods of evolution as any other civilization. That's the theory. So if you have a planet out in space, they might well have like a, the, an equivalent of the ancient Greeks, a Jesus figure and Romans and Nazis and all this other thing, or their own versions of those same things. And so they kind of thought, if that's the case, then it's kind of all right if they land on this planet and they're all like the Romans. So it was kind of like, it, it was this convenient sort of get out clause sort of thing and plus it's, they, it's the million monkeys at a million typewriters theory but yeah any anyone who's even basically schooled in any kind of statistical analysis will tell you that the whole million monkeys at a million typewriters thing is just bad yeah. it's bad stats it really is that i mean given infinite space and infinite planets yes eventually you'll find one that is exactly like us except that you have a goatee <laughs> but that's that's not really how it works statistic-wise, because your likelihood of ever stumbling across that planet, especially if, if you're the crew of a spacecraft with a very limited flight range, encountering like eight of them in three seasons. Yeah. Oh, it's such a bollocks, really. But you know, it kind of. Plus, they always did. They always had the sort of like the Nazi episode. They were all Nazis because a Starfleet officer with a book about Nazis landed on the planet. And it was always stuff like that. On another one, a, a, an officer with a book about gangsters landed on the planet, and they were all right. like Chicago mobsters. And that's they did that a lot, and it was just, well, kind of because of the budget. Yeah, I always hated those ones, though. I liked the ones that were more fantastic, more <coughs> imaginative, had the cooler aliens, the cooler ships, the cooler planetscapes, the, the more exotic and... Uh, the the more those were like the old sci-fi magazine covers, yeah. the more into it I was. Fair enough, I can. Which is why that. I mean, a, a few of them that are my favorite, like a muck time. Yeah, I loved that one because it all happened on Vulcan, and you get these huge, really rocky, just otherworldly landscapes in the background. And they, I mean, they still look cheap, but it, it was something other than walking off the set onto the back of the lot and being like, well, we've got something left over from the Wizard of Oz and we've got something left over from, uh, you know, like Gone with the Wind and we've got something left over from uh, the uh, the Maltese Falcon. Let's see what we can do with these three props. It was, it was budget filmmaking at its very best, I think, Star Trek. They just made do with so much and did such a good job with it. I think A Mock Time is actually my favourite next uh, original series episode is it really i wouldn't argue it's the best one but it's my favorite i think the best one is is city on the edge of forever with john collins people say that 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 one also felt cheap to me though for the very same reason because i mean they use time travel as another money saving device and like i said i'm just not into that but i can see from a story structure perspective where it was very creative especially for the time there, there were other ones, though, that I liked so much more. Uh, if you've got to be cheap, you can do ones that are all confined to the ship. Yeah, those, they do. there's a few good know. ones of those. Um, did you... Well, of course you've seen it, but do you remember Wink of an Eye? Wink of an Eye. Not straight from the title. 
it happens almost exclusively on the ship with maybe one or two scenes down on a planet side. And and again, those are cheap. Those planet tableaus are all recycled so many times. But it's the one where um, there's a small group of survivors on a planet and they've been accelerated so that they move extremely quickly through time. Right. And I... they kind of they kidnap Kirk and accelerate him as well. Yeah, I remember this one. I know the one. I like that one a lot. That that was another one of the very first ones that I saw, and partially because you know the lead character, the 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 lead alien was the 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 oversexed, scantily dressed <laughs> love interest. That is the best thing about Star Trek. I mean, it there's so many just about naked women on it. it it's quite ridiculous. If you're a fan of side boob, Star Trek original series is just excellent for that sort of thing. And costumes that purposefully are split all the way up the side. Yeah. From from ankle to said side boob. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't after Star Trek. You didn't see this sort of thing on television until HBO came along. Yeah. It was that was that was some good stuff. <laughs> it really was. But yeah, I don't. I, so I don't remember the first time I saw original series. It was just always there. Next generation. That I remember very clearly, because it was I was supposed to go and go. Oh, what was I supposed to do now? <laughs> this is how clearly I can remember it. <laughs> I was supposed to go to Cub Scouts, and my dad was supposed to take me. And instead, we just rented this. We we rented Encounter at Farpoint. Oh, you rented it. You didn't yeah. even see it on a first run. No, it was. This might have even been before it was actually on TV. Certainly over here. And they sort of released as a video in the video store, uh, Encounter at Farpoint, as if it were a movie. And I just remember renting that. It was a case of there's nothing, what what else do you want? Oh, this is new Star Trek. Look, Oh, let's look at this. So we did. And I remember sitting watching it thinking, aren't we supposed to be going somewhere tonight? Don't I, don't I usually do something on Thursday nights? And then my dad falling asleep and me just watching Star Trek. And loving it. Now, this is really interesting because you said that. I, I would never even stop to think about this when I was seven years old because that's that's when this would have come out in the United States. Uh, 26 September 1987 was Encounter at Farpoint in the U.S. Right. 26 September 1990 is when it was released in the U.K. That's That's odd. That is an unusual gap. That Three is... full years, and it looks like that was pretty much the general um, pattern for most of Western Europe, at least. West Germany, Finland, UK, Denmark, all got it in 1990. Um, wasn't first released in France until 1996. It, it took ages. To, it, if I remember correctly, it was actually released the whole run of Next Gen, not just when the first episode came out. The whole lot was released very strangely over here because um, the, there was the big gap. And, and the thing, it wasn't that bad because there was no internet. We didn't know there was another Star Trek. It, wa it wasn't a problem. Um, it was just one day there was new Star Trek. Uh, and, and at that point, I wasn't as into it then as I would be now. So, so there, was no, there was no big media buildup to it there? Because, I mean, and there I was... Remember. There was a rather large push for it here. I mean, there was a lot of money being thrown around to promo it. Right. I remember that was back in the day when you would still watch Entertainment Tonight 
which do you do you even have entertainment tonight or did you ever we did i'm i'm very much aware of it yeah okay so we're talking half hour evening time basically serving the purpose that youtube does now with trailers yeah but also with limited review and celebrity talk a truly terrible show yes <laughs> terrible but that's all you had back then I mean, there there was no way to log onto Apple.com and just zip through their HD trailer selection. Exactly. So you had, if you were a movie buff and you liked finding out when your favorite movie or when an upcoming movie is coming out, you could get a crappy magazine or you could watch Entertainment Tonight on any, any weeknight at 7.30. And I remember doing that and it, it dominated that show for a long time. Um, they were talking about, there was a big controversy, of course, about Picard. Yeah. Because he was not only bald, but a Frenchman. And there's nothing that Americans hate more than French. Sorry, that's, that's just the way that it is. No, no, we hate them too. <laughs> they, that's, they, that's not, they that's love not necessarily us, a truism. They, they love <laughs> us. I, I heard that there was a TV show. It was like a, a news discussion. Not the news, but a news show. And they did this mm -hmm. sort of, where they went over to the streets of Paris and did a, just stopping members of the public. What do you think of the English... And everyone was like, oh, they're lovely. We'd like them. We're glad they're our friends. And we were just like, oh, God, <laughs> we've been making fun of you guys for ages and you think we're nice. Oh, I'm sorry now. So I, just, I feel bad about it. I don't genuinely hate the French people. It's I just... don't think that many people here do either, but it is a conservative right thing in the United States. You know, they're, especially after 9-11. Yeah. Yeah, the whole freedom fries and, <laughs> oh, the French want to give the terrorists a a chance to explain themselves and all that kind of stuff. Oh dear. Yeah. Anyway, Star Trek. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it came out in in stutters. Am I right in thinking? Let me just now. The one where Picard is taken by the Borg. Why is that episode name left my the best memory. of both worlds? Best of both worlds. Part one. Now then. Uh, it actually, if I remember right, we got part one and part two. And part mm -hmm. two is technically the next episode, the first episode of the next season, isn't it? Right, because that's how every season yeah. break worked. They, it would always end up on a cliffhanger, which is how episodic TV worked at the time. Yeah. Uh, and Next Gen was a little bit experimental in that they started doing a lot of things with arcs that you hadn't seen prior to that. Now, when that... So, imagine this. So, we get in, uh, Best of Both Worlds Part 1 and Part 2, and then they end it right there. And we don't get any more Star Trek for probably another two years. Right? Two years? Yeah. It's an unreasonable amount of time. And the, the show actually changes the channel that it's on. It goes from being shown on BBC Two to being shown on Sky One. And Sky start rerunning the whole lot from the beginning. And that's all there was. Three seasons. Right through to the first episode of season four. And then one day, Sky run a promo that goes, we've got seasons four, five, and six, and they're all going to be on right now. And that was it. When the, so we just got four, five, and six all in at the same go. So that, can, That's crazy right there. I, I do remember... That being probably the one time that I was most shaken about Star Trek, because going into that that off season, that summer season, thinking that there was no way out for Picard, that he'd been assimilated, that nobody comes back from assimilation, 
I was ready to just walk away from the show. I, I was too scared as a little kid <laughs> to, to pick it back up. I mean, I was what that would I would I would have been nine. Yeah, that's a lot of drama for a kid. You're you're a your hero, your father figure in a lot of ways on your TV father figure. Let's not take it too seriously, but father figure nonetheless gets uh, worse than death. It is, isn't it? It's worse than death. You're absolutely right. And it was harrowing. It re- because that episode ends, it doesn't just end with Picard being shown as Locutus, but it ends with Commander Riker giving the order to fire the big weapon that they think is going to destroy the cube as well see like not only is is he being taken they're going to kill them all anyway being killed by his best friend yeah it was it's horrible just just horrible i mean um, so in that sense we were quite lucky that next week the conclusion was on uh and yeah i just remember it ending with that shot of it panning out from the ready room window as picard mulls over what's happened to him in the past few days and that was an agonizing summer, though. Yeah, I bet it was. I can't imagine two years, a two-year gap. That's crazy, Rich. Of course, a lot of a lot of UK-produced shows have that kind of a large gap between seasons anyway. Am I right? Not usually. No? Not usually. I mean, the, the big gaps we have is usually just due to the fact that our series is usually about six episodes, uh, depending my, my... on the show. My understanding was that classic series like uh, Doctor Who, Red Dwarf, that these were all things that had multi-year gaps in between, especially latter seasons. Uh, mainly due to budget constraints of the BBC and the writers being busy doing other things. Mm-hmm. Uh, the present situation is that you've got the same guys writing Doctor Who that you've got doing Sherlock. And so we start making noise on the internet. Oh, we want more Doctor Who, we want more Sherlock. And they they do occasionally just put out, you know, we can only just do one thing at a time. So mm-hmm. sorry, we'll we'll do, we we do work every day, but we can only make so much stuff. You know, all right, okay. Yeah. I, I, I want more though. Work harder. And and Carlos here in the chat room, and I I guess I, we should mention that uh, some of our biggest fans are in the simply syndicated chat room right now listening to the show live as we're recording it. But but Carlos in the chat room says it might have been interesting if they had killed off Picard. It, correct me if I'm wrong. Was that not the original intention? I've or never, at least bandied around at one point? I've never heard that. Uh, I could have I, sworn that I had read some sort of interview or some sort of trivia that said, yes, the original plan going into the, the season three, season four break was to get rid of Picard altogether. Right. I've I've never heard that before. So I don't know. I, w- I wouldn't be shocked, but I'm glad they didn't. That show was Picard. You couldn't kill off Picard. No. You just, you just couldn't. And think Too of strong it. of a character. Too strong of a moral force. Well, I, I, I guess I should say ethical force. Yeah. Too, too an important character. This, this man, like you say, this, this was, he was almost my dad sometimes. You know, last week when we were talking about growing up with um, various presidents and prime ministers, I kept on wanting to shout, Picard is my president. <laughs> <laughs> it would be awesome. I even I even have a book downstairs. Where it's something like uh, Lessons of Leadership from Star Trek The Next Generation with a, a big picture of Captain Picard on the front. It's how to, do, how to lead in the style of Captain Picard. I've never read page one of that book, but... Yeah, I saw it on Amazon. It was it had to be bought. 
one of those. Oh, You've got to wonder, especially in the United States, how much Star Trek The Next Generation's ethics impacted political ethics down the line. Because we're talking about very, very progressive ideas, especially for 20 years ago. Picard standing up for things that are just very much true, but still very much elude a lot of people over here. Well, this was the point of Star Trek. I mean, not just Next Gen, but... I think even more so the original series because that dealt with I, I think it's probably fair to say there was much more political unrest and issues to deal with in the 60s than there were in the late 80s and 90s. Roddenberry wasn't quite powerful enough though in the 60s to take those on head on. They they were very much more transparent in the 80s and 90s with Next Gen. Yeah, but that, that was I, I, I just suppose television just wasn't that edgy in the 60s. It, it just wasn't. It, well, it, no one was doing this sort of thing. Well, it wasn't allowed um, to be. Yeah. I mean, there was the the whole big deal with the censors. Even even to get an interracial kiss on original series was was a big thing. Exactly. Uh, but I I always hold it up as that's how important it was. These things happened through Star Trek. Uh, and and so it, it has always been an important thing. It's why I've always thought if you if you watch Star Trek and are a fan of Star Trek, then you are automatically a better human being than anyone who does not watch and understand the point of Star Trek. I, I just think if it doesn't make you a more tolerant, more open-minded individual, then you've completely and totally missed the point of it. Really? It was like the time Allison ended up watching American History X with a, a white supremacist. <laughs> okay, we've got, a, we've got a sidetrack for this story. I need to know how this turned out. I wasn't there. This was a long time before I met her. Uh, but this is a story she's told me when they, they uh, it was her, a couple of friends who I, I know very well. And they, they would I can't remember the situation, but they were with someone that they went to school with. This was not a, a, a friend as such, like a day-to-day -day hangout with kind of friend, just someone they both know. And I don't really know the context for them being there. But as a result of this, they were at Alison's friend's house and watching the movie. American History X. Now, the, the friends of Allison's that, that are now I would consider my friends are all very tolerant, happy, hippie-ish people, and that that's fine, and they understand it. But this other guy that's that I, I I'm completely unaware of got to the end and just like yeah, that, that guy got was fucking coming to him, didn't he? Did you see it when he stamped on him on the pavement? Just loved it, and and for him, the point of the movie was how kill how well uh, he, Edward Norton killed the black guy. That it's was always the, the danger of art, isn't it? That someone yeah. is going to misread your your message. It's like, I think you might have just missed the point of that movie. I, th I think that might have gone over your head there a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind of an anti-racism film when you, when you really analyze it all the way through. But, yeah, you've got to wonder about people like this. And so, for you know, it's exactly the same thing. If you, if you watch and get Star Trek... You're automatically a better human being. It's such a wonderful thing. It's a modern-day Bible. You, of course, have watched Next Generation since, uh, well, let's say in the past five years. Yeah. 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 Just a guess. Yeah. Yeah, I have. <laughs> Seeing as how you, I don't know, might have talked about it a little bit on some podcast thing. But um, do you recall any instances where next-gen ethics or next-gen morals next-gen central themes were already outmoded? 
No. No, there's nothing that comes to mind. I I can't think of any offhand either. I, did did they ever address homosexuality in any meaningful way? I I don't think that they did there, except maybe maybe an androgyny with the yeah. the Riker line. Yeah, you have that. It would be just arguably barely touched on you kind of had there was kind of almost a dr crusher incident in the same way that there was a dax incident in deep space nine when you've got the the trill that comes back and oh it's a woman again kind of (laughs) thing uh but they they were no way as forthright with it on next gen and dr crusher as they were with dax and deep space nine uh so even that took them a couple of couple of years they did deal with some sensitive issues there was an episode that was banned here for some time because it was it was a comment on the northern island conflict which and, one was that uh let me think it was somebody what, was it the diehard episode no it was it no. was one where dr crusher is kidnapped um this is going to be an interesting google search dr crusher kidnapped that's not going to help at all. It was a, sort of a <laughs> mid-run, maybe a kind of season five or season six. That's what it sounds like a lot. Was it the Romulans who got her? No, it was... Oh, hang on. Star Trek band episode. Ah, here we go. I think I found something on the Star Trek.com forums. Just give me, Oh, The Higher Ground. It was called... Let me just bring that one up. Two warring factions on a planet. Yes. Uh, on According to this, it was a reference to Irish unification made a, made a UK edited version. There you go. But that was the one, because that was another one that Sky made a big fuss of when they got it. Because, oh, we've got the one that was banned. You've never seen this one. And I remember being very excited about that one. And it's <laughs> a fairly average, innocuous episode. There's really nothing much to it. Um I but, wonder if it was explicitly stated at any point that that's what the theme was or that's what the inspiration was or whether some censor guy looked at it and said, oh, this is too close. This this kind of sounds like something that my grandfather went through. Well, quoting this uh, exactly, it says, The Higher Ground was banned for a while in the UK because a reference to Irish unification. They made an edited UK version specifically to take that line out. So I'm guessing that they referenced the historical event of Irish unification. Ah, and how dare we talk about imaginary peace? Yes. What a, what a horrible thing. It's such a sticky issue. I'm not touching that one. Honestly, <laughs> I'm, I have no opinion. I had an opinion once, but I said it in front of someone from Northern Ireland and I quickly learned that should not be my opinion. So I now have no opinion. That's where I am. I just want everybody to be happy whatever their particular line of happiness involves. I don't think that's right, because you don't want bigots to be happy. Well, okay. Um, people whose line of happiness is reasonable to most people. <laughs> and or just me. But, yeah, you see my point. But that, that All was... that wrapping around, though, I, I, I really can't think, even though it's been, what, uh, 20, 25 years now since since Next Gen has been off the air, I can't think of any way in which 
almost every single episode that dealt directly with ethics is still not progressive, like far beyond our our mass collective cultural ethics. Yeah, they they were all brilliant, basically. Uh, it's why the show is one of the best shows that's ever been made. There, there are two that whenever this comes up, I always direct people to. And if you haven't seen them, you need to go watch them right, right now, especially if you have a basic understanding of who the characters are. But the first one is the drum head, which is all about very, very applicable things to our society right now with whether people should be, uh, have the benefit of the doubt in trial or whether they should um, be subjected to witch hunts, how trials are conducted, how investigations are conducted, especially against people who are suspects in terror events. And then the other is the measure of a man, which is all about uh, what is a person. I find that one difficult to watch because it's it actually, even though I know what the outcome is, it scares me all the way through. I'm always uncomfortable watching that episode. And because well, it's it, good. It, yeah, I agree. It's because of the issues it deals with. It was actually, I happened to catch it on TV a couple of days ago, and it still makes me feel uneasy. Uh, I mean, this is the one where they want to, uh, Starfleet just want to take data on the grounds right, that a, he's a, property. Right, a low-level scientist who just wants to dismantle him, study him, figure out how to make more of him. Yeah. And the, the scene where Riker is told, you've got to prosecute the case against Data. And if you don't do it, someone else is going to. It's, it's horrifying. You just think, what if you had to do that? Well, also, Riker takes it seriously. He doesn't say, okay, well, I'll throw the, 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 the match. You know, he goes in there and he tries to get Data because that's his job. Yeah, it's the, at one point looks like he's going to win as well. It, it's just so good. I love the end of that episode. Which is uh, Data and Riker just, you know, I think I came a little bit too close. Like, yeah, but you didn't win. It's all all right. And I think he spent a good few hours alone on the holodeck that evening. Just relieving a little tension. And then someone, of course, has to go in and mop up afterwards. <laughs> well, I do want to congratulate Gene Roddenberry because he, he got me young and his message was clear. And I... I think that Star Trek was a very, very effective counter to a lot of religious pressures that I faced growing up. And I think I think it played a very, very weighted role in me tossing religion aside eventually. I think it did a good job in preaching that you didn't need religion to be a good person and have a good moral compass. I, I think that was a, a great message that it gave out. And the fact that nobody in it was a religious person they would meet aliens of a religion of their mm -hmm. own alien religion from time to time that sort of thing but there was no sort of religious ceremony of, of the humans on the ship you could, I, I suppose you could argue maybe Worf at various points got very Klingon religious-y there were a few solemn ceremonies. Uh, they, they had some funeral services and that sort of thing, and they clearly understood cult uh, religion from a cultural and historical perspective because they were often performing religious music or uh, um, plays that had grounding in an era that would have been very religious in, in nature. But they never took it seriously. It was always very firmly rooted in secular humanism. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that was very much the point of Star Trek. Always the point of Star Trek. God, it's so good. Did you know that Gene Simmons 
guitarist was in the drumhead. Yeah. I didn't yes. know that. Uh, Mick Fleetwood was in another episode. Oh, but he was just a big fish, wasn't he? Yeah. That was the best <laughs> thing about that one. He was just, just a big fish. It could have been me. We Eddie know. Murphy had an uncredited cameo. Why did I not know that? As a guard. Oh, why? Oh, now I'm looking this up. <laughs> How did I not know that? I am one of the world's foremost authorities on Star Trek, you know. I, <laughs> I, I should know this. But I didn't know that. Wow, he's in Star Trek Five. Is it five? I thought it was four. Oh, hang on. Um, oh God, it's taken me to it's taken me to the Wikipedia article about Trekkies. Let me search that page for Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy, who nearly starred in Star Trek IV: The Voyage Home when his million-dollar contract with Paramount Pictures arrived to be signed, Murphy delayed its signing for nearly an hour because he was so engrossed with an episode of the original series. Oh, that's what it says on Wikipedia. Uh, Tom Hanks was con offered the role of Zephyrin Cochrane in First Contact, but had to do it, turn it down due to conf uh, scheduling conflict. I didn't know that. Our chat room is chipping in here too. Mike says Iggy Pop was in DS9. He was. He was, and and very well as well. He was a voter. Uh, you can very much see it's uh, Iggy Pop, and it's brilliant. It's a very good episode, that, actually. I'm going to say two names, and I just want to get your response real quick. <clears throat> Ashley Judd and Famke Jansen. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is my response. Oh, yeah. Too bad they weren't in the same episode, <clears throat> and that that episode didn't directly address homosexuality. That would have been too much. <laughs> I am, I'm not sure I could take that now, let alone Splash. when I was 15. <laughs> God. The rest of the family was in that TV room. I, can, I couldn't watch that. Oh, God. I'd be uncomfortable watching that in front of Alison now. But, wow. Um, oh, this is reminding me about Seth MacFarlane being in it so much. Uh, was he in Enterprise? He was. I was always so jealous of the people that could phone up and go, hey, can I be on Star Trek? I mean, I could phone up and say, can, can I be on Star Trek? But all I'd hear is the sound of the phone being put down. It wouldn't precede a conversation put it that way what was the really famous one there was oh robin williams he always wanted to be in star trek and i think if memory serves i'm gonna butcher this i know that i am i know that i'm gonna get it wrong but at one point i think they had written an episode for him yeah and he had to pull out that was it he was gonna do one he the one where uh the time tra it's matt frewer who does it uh, who played the part and it's, he's the time traveler that apparently comes back from the future but to... in fact it turns out that he's from the past yes and that role was specifically written for robin williams and he had to pull out at the last minute as i understand it that's yeah that's that's always been a, a big story about it i think that would have been great but i'm, I'm actually a big fan of, of matt Frewer. i think he's quite good so he's not in enough actually I think he was in Eureka for a while, playing an Australian, and that. What terrible. the what? Carlos says that Christian Slater was in Star Trek Six. He was, yes. He he comes to wake up. Uh, what's his name? The captain. Oh God, George Takei. Captain Sulu. Sulu. Yeah, at one point, near, sort of like twenty minutes before the end, uh, he gets woken up in bed, and the the guy that wakes him up and delivers the message is Christian Slater. 
Star Trek VI, oddly enough, is probably the one of the original movies that I have seen the fewest times, which doesn't make any sense because, I mean, it, it should be either one or five. But for whatever reason, six gets left out of the rotation every time. I do love Star Trek six. It's a, it's just a very good film. It's one of the the better ones all around. I mean, you say what you want about two. I've never really honestly been fond of two, but four is the one that always pulls me back in. I, I also love four. Again, four is my favorite, although arguably not the best. But it, it, it's by far my favorite. I will watch Star Trek four anytime, whatever. You know, I've even got the audio book of it, which is not a great book. Of course, now I'm having to face how very hypocritical I feel saying at the beginning of this episode that I hated the time travel ones where they go back to modern day. Oh, yeah, of course. That's all that four is. Yeah, but it's done so well and they have to invent another method of time travel for it and all that sort of thing. One that's never seen again. Yeah. It's just methods of time travel coming out their ears in the 24th century. Not enough ways you can travel to the past. Just, it's amazing. It's, it's, it's actually amazing, given how easy it apparently is that the future happens at all. You'd think everybody would be doing it all the time. But there you go. That's, that's TV for you. So, do you remember seeing Deep Space Nine for the first time? I do. And I remember being generally unimpressed. I mean, I was, it it happened at the tail end of TNG. What was it? Season six? No, season season five? Yeah. Five. So they were interwoven for a little while, just like Buffy and Angel were. There was a crossover episode, wasn't there? Um, Well, there were quite a few because there was, well, let's see. O'Brien ended up going back and forth a couple of times. Worf did the same. Well, Worf didn't go to Deep Space Nine until Next Gen had finished. Is that how it worked? Yeah. Worf appears at the beginning of Season 3 of uh, Deep Space Nine, which is when Deep Space Nine really kicks off. The the Way of the Warrior episodes are absolutely brilliant. In in fact, sort of the first three or four episodes of Season 3 of Deep Space Nine are absolutely brilliant. You know, it's interesting that you say that that Worf is the catalyst for DS9 because I usually tell people when when I'm advising them on how to get into the next gen to start with the episode three or the season three episode called Sins of the Father, which is all about Worf as well. He he is the turning point. There were, there was so much that came along, and then they added the Defiant, and so they could get off the station, which was a good move, and and so many things there. It just became a really good TV series. I, I feel like I should watch it again, but I've I, got all of Netflix to watch first. I will readily admit that I didn't give DS9 a fair enough shake because, let's see, it would have been, what, 91 when Next Gen went off the air? Yeah, something like that. Although, much again, m- much later for me. There were a couple of factors creeping up right around then that, that turned me off a little bit to DS9. The first one was that the first two seasons were shit. Yeah. I mean, just absolute utter garbage, especially whenever they were talking about Benjamin Sisko. He took a long time to find his his groove. I never found it with him. I mean, every time that there was an episode about him or baseball, I just got up and, you know, washed my hands. I, I think he was definitely one of the grittier captains. He really was. He, once it started getting good, oh... Honestly, it's just I love that one. 
he was so cardboard. I, I loved Odo. I loved Bashir especially, and I loved, um, uh, of course, when I'm talking about it on a podcast in front of a chat room is the time that I'm going to forget his name. Um, the Cardassian clothier. Garrick. The, the tailor. Yes, Garrick. He, he was probably my favorite of all the characters Garrick was. So anytime that there was an episode that was heavy about any of them, I was happy. I was into it. But throw in either of the Cisco's, Ben or Jake, man, that turn that off. Oh, Jake Cisco was terrible. Jake Cisco was the the Anakin Skywalker of Star Trek. Mind you, I can't actually give him that title because they had so many Anakin Skywalkers throughout all of Star Trek. <laughs> Wesley, Alexander. I actually think Alexander was the most annoying. Especially well, when he grew up. The elder Cisco was very much uh, an Anakin as well, seeing as how he was supposed to be the prophet who brought balance to the force of Bajor. I suppose that, yeah, but I just mean in the t- in terms of why have you done that with your actor? Why, <laughs> why have you made him like that when he could have been so much... Anything else would have been better. Why is it him? Why did you find him? Why didn't you find him and kill him? What? Oh. <sighs> Anakin but, Skywalker yeah. didn't annoy me as much as a character till I heard how many kids George Lucas auditioned for the part, and then you think, and he he got that because I I think I could find a thousand kids better at that than him. I know this is taking a left turn away from Star Trek, but if you want to talk about Jake Lloyd, I've really tried very very hard and succeeded for some number of years in forgiving him because he was just a kid. What did you, what did you want him to do? He's a fucking kid. He's put in an impossible situation. Nobody's going mean, to... He's not going to live up to anybody's standards. For a movie that you've been waiting for for 30 years that has dialogue as terribly written as George Lucas did, no kid in that situation would have been able to pull it off. So for a long time, I would turn my back and say, you know, just leave Jake Lloyd alone. But uh, grew out of that phase, stopped being apologetic toward him, especially when I finally was able to throw off the whole... Let, come on, everybody, let's like Phantom Menace thing. Yeah. When I finally said, you know what, this is a bad movie, no matter how big of a Star Wars fan I am. It's just awful. The kid from Sixth Sense would have been better. Oh, by a mile. That Actually, that would have been really good. I've, and I've only just thought of that as well, just now. Haley Joel Osment can act. Yeah. Or could. Well, this is the thing. There were so many other actually decent child actors working at the time. The fact that Jake Lloyd got work is astounding, let alone became Anakin Skywalker. And I don't forgive him. I know, yeah, he's a kid, what can he do? But he did it. He did it. There's still a world of difference, though, between I see dead people and are you an angel? Nobody can deliver that line. No, I, I agree. That's that's right. It, it is horrific writing that no one could deliver well. Absolutely. But still. He did it very badly. When Mark Hamill can deliver this stuff all right, if you can't, maybe you're in the wrong job. Although Mark Hamill gets a bad rap for no reason. Well, Mark Hamill gets a pass, I think. He's extremely whiny, extremely wet, overacting, very stage-like movements. Do you think? I've never had a problem with him. Maybe I should go back and watch them again. It's been a couple of years, actually. I've turned a blind eye to Mark Hamill's weaknesses because I I do love the original trilogy so much. I, I just can't do that for the, the prequels. I can't either. They're just awful, and I, I'd hate them so much. Let's go back to Star Trek. I'm getting upset. 
The other thing that got me away from DS9 is that I started to like girls and thinking, you know, hey, I have a penis. I should do something with it. I So that was it was about the time when I started to say, you know what, probably reading Star Trek novels at school is not the best way to get laid. I never read Star Trek novels at school. That would be suicide. I uh, did for a long time. I, I would have two or three in my backpack because I'd get bored in the middle of class and pull one out and stick it in the textbook. You see, I I too would have been sort of discovering girls around the same time, but I kind of think it's kind of like saying I was getting into girls like I was getting into Ferrari sports cars. You can like them all you want. <laughs> you know, you can look at pictures of them in magazines, you can see them on television, but you're not going to get one. So just <laughs> go home and watch Star Trek. Yeah. And so I could be as interested in girls as I liked until girls were interested in me. It was really a, a, a just a problem, actually. So... Then you go back to Star Trek. Yeah. Just liking the girls isn't enough. There are, there are prisons for people like that. Yeah. It's just Next what... Gen, though, was a, a very much a high point for me because I don't think that I ever went back to Star Trek with quite as much intensity or love as I had for those few years that it was on the air. Me either. Not until I perhaps... A few years, sort of five years ago when we rewatched Deep Space Nine all the way through and that was sort of the first time I watched it in order without breaks with, with adult eyes and really got to like it when it was on TV I watched it and sort of I hadn't even seen season seven it, I did drift off it and I, I think for kind of the same reasons as you I was I was doing other things I was growing up there were there were more important things to do like not getting girls I would argue that had it not been for Star Trek The Next Generation, I may never have got a girl. So Okay. Everything I learned about how to get girls, I learned from Commander William T. Riker. I, well, at least you didn't learn it from Wesley Crusher. Well, how could you? That's, <laughs> you know, that's, that's an impossibility. It's certainly not a life lesson that Geordie yeah. LaForge would have passed on. No. The Wesley Crusher method of getting girls. Be rubbish at it until one day Ashley Judd turns up and there's nobody else on the ship except you. That's... He was always getting them. I know. It was Wesley just... was always falling ass backward into women. Mind you, he had that whole, well, yeah, I'm the guy, Picard, let's fly the Enterprise and all that sort of thing. My mum's a doctor, I can get prescriptions. <laughs> You know, he's got a few things. Yeah, I know the captain. Yeah, what do you need? Yeah. Hey. Yeah, I fly the ship. Hey, baby. That's that's his thing. I'm not surprised he got girls. Geordie should have gotten more girls. But twas not to be. It, it, I still have to ask that of uh, LeVar Burton one day. How come Geordie didn't get girls? He got less than the, the, the android. What's that about? They tried to give him arcs where he had romantic interests, but nothing ever panned out. He never even, you know, got to rub up against anybody, really. Nope, no rubbing, no nothing. There was, what, the married scientist? The the real bitch? Yeah, who he fell in love with as a hologram he'd made up, which is rather questionable to begin with. Then he meets her, but she's married. Right, she comes around in the flesh, and, and he gets cock-blocked there. Yeah. It, it It's just terrible. There's... I think there's one where he kind of falls in love with someone who's already dead because he just watches her personal logs for some reason. Uh, there's, there's several episodes where he just doesn't get any. 
Was there not an episode? It's it's been a while since I've seen some of these, especially some of the really episodic ones. But was there not a throwaway one where he fell in love with someone who turned out to be like some grotesque monster? There was an episode where a woman colleague from his old ship comes back, but they're just mates, and they both turn into weird monsters at the end. But obviously are reverse turned into monsters by the very end. So there, there is that, but he he really doesn't. He's never close to getting his end away in that one. He must be the most sexually frustrated man flying throughout the the Alpha Quadrant. He really must, mind you. He's married to the ship. God knows. Do you think that that's what the theme was? He can never have a woman because he already has his his lady love. I don't think so. I think I kind of feel maybe. What what if it was just a sort of. What was the the situation on TV regarding interracial relationships around the time of Star Trek The Next Generation? I don't think there was any issue at all. I mean, that we're talking post different strokes, Rich. Oh, of course. <laughs> did that did that was that a big turning point for race relations in in America? Uh, well, hey, I, Rich I, guys, I don't want to come. I, to I think I'm scared to talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, rich guys, come and collect a few black kids off the street. No, they'll love it. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just a single guy adopting some kids. That's that's all right. That's never there were any number of shows though on TV throughout the seventies and eighties where interracial relationships were not an issue. I mean, even even on the Jeffersons, their neighbor, black guy or black woman, white guy married, no big deal. Right. I don't. I don't remember it ever being an issue here, but that's not to say it wasn't. Uh, we produced some incredibly racially insensitive programs throughout the seventies. Some of it is just horrific, actually. Uh, so I. I don't know. I. I can't. I certainly don't come at this issue from a holier than thou position, because we. We produced some horrific stuff. We really did. Is it is it usually against black people in the UK or who who where does the propensity or for uh, for racism swing against there? Well, I these know these days it's it's probably Islamic residents, right? I I would imagine so. Uh, sort of Muslim people, uh, Asian people, but by Asian we mean sort of Southeast Asia, sort of India, Pakistan, sort of area. I know that I think you, when you if I said Asian to you, you'd think kind of much further east. Uh, but that that's sort of where it would go to, definitely. They'd be our, our, our ethnic minorities. So it's it's horrible. And it's that, I think, is never, that was never really covered as an issue on Star Trek. It was always much more the, the black problem-based. Mind you, it's an American show, isn't it? And every country's going to have its slight differences. I think that... <coughs> Folks in the United States, I'm, of course, talking with a big blanket sweeping generalization here, so don't take it as a 100% you know, foolproof argument. But I think, by and large, in the United States, when people think of racism, the automatic place that we jump to is black versus white because, hey, we had slaves. And I know that you did it a long, long time ago, but you emancipated everyone long, long before we did. I would imagine that the healing process has been much more significantly advanced there. Mm. Well, well, we we sort of had a resurgence of stuff. Uh, I apologize to anyone if I get anything factually incorrect here, which is highly likely, but I'll do my best. Yep. 
bear in mind that we're two white guys talking about this. Yeah. Um, we we had that. So as as I understand it, things might have been generally okay. And then sort of after World War II, we, we had a massive influx of sort of West Indian people and uh, people from that part of the world. We had a lot of black people come over here. Uh, and suddenly, you know, you started seeing these people on the streets and they started moving into houses and maybe you worked with one and that sort of thing. And that's when you started seeing the, you know, the signs in the boarding house windows of no blacks, no Irish sort of thing. Uh, horrid, horrid times. And that would have been sort of, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s kind of thing. And it was perhaps in the 70s that we produced just some horrible television from various points of view. The uh, show like Love Thy Neighbor, which I think, I think this has come up before, uh, would be a, either you, you guys remade it or ours is a remake of one of your sh- I think we've discussed this before. Possibly British sitcom, by terms. I think we might have yeah, it's, around it's, about a year ago. I can't remember, though. Yeah, it's, it, that's come up before. Uh, but that's what it was. Now, now things, I think, are very much... Things seem pretty cool, but we still have a lot of... We, we have a, tr- a, a, lot, a little bit of bother, I think, by sort of insular uh, groups of ethnic minorities there there seems to be a lot of tension of people don't want to integrate and we don't give them much of a reason to want to you know and and so it's a, it's a tricky situation and but i think in general things are pretty cool and and things are okay there are always going to be extremists in any cause in any issue in any country and we see them on the, on the news but they're not it's not a big influence and I, I certainly wouldn't call it a massive problem but again, I'm saying that as a middle-class white guy. Of course, I don't see a problem. You know, it's the way of the world. I, I'm yeah, f- there there are inherently things that you and I, as pudgy, well-to-do white guys, are just not going to ever be able to understand. And, yeah, and I understand that we're probably offending someone, and I apologize for that. We, we really really don't mean to, but I, I do want to say that being raised on star trek largely made me really just not even be able to understand that racism was still a thing i have the same issue with i mean not just racism but homophobia as well i've had it complained at me about that no seriously this is still an issue for people like really is it oh okay fine i i don't it's not something i i'm not a racist i don't know anyone that is racist i Perhaps I could quite easily be a Pakistani guy living five miles down the road from me right now who has a very different view about racism in this country today. But it's not something I see or come across or anything like that, apart from in the news maybe from time to time. Well, I grew up in very segregated areas. I'll make no bones about that. I mean, just about everybody that I knew was was white. I mean, I, I did have friends of different persuasions, different ethnicities, different backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, but... For the most part, I grew up in areas of the United States where it's very, very lily white. That being said, one of the things that was so great about Star Trek, especially Next Gen, was that it was so so engrossing, such a great exercise in world building, that a lot of what they were presenting to me on the show, it, it, was, it was almost like I had immersed myself in, in that reality that 
I, I assumed that what I was seeing on the screen was what was really happening around me. And in some ways, I, I guess that might have been a little bit delusional and, and kind of bad because mm. being exposed so very much and enjoying those ideals blinded me in a, in a lot of ways to the fact that some of the issues that they were talking about on TV, they were talking about them because they were real. Yeah. It's it's a, a tricky thing. I mean, if everybody who watches it becomes like you and thinks it's not an issue, then that's okay if everybody thinks that. The problem is that not everybody's watching it. I, I remember very clearly being 9 or 10, 11 years old and, and, and thinking, well, gee, you know, if Picard says that's the way it is, then everybody must agree because why would anyone disagree with Picard? Mm. I suppose so. But then I, it, it was just... It, it, it's a strange thing. Race. I remember having to have racism explained to me by my dad. I remember it was sort of around the time of Free Nelson Mandela and all of this sort of thing, when South Africa was very much an issue that I, well, had, I you know, had to have it explained to me. Yeah, I do remember being exposed to it and understanding that it happened, or that it was something that happened in other countries, especially or other places. But when I was looking around me at again going back to to middle class very suburban settings thinking hey that's not something that exists here yeah but it again it doesn't exist because there isn't necessarily that mix of people there yeah i suppose racism I think one of the is weaknesses a... one of the weaknesses of star trek is that it does appeal to uh to to a specific socioeconomic subclass uh, i mean you don't find extremely extremely poor people or extremely rich people watching star trek for the most part i don't know you think? i i don't know i've i've always found it to be quite a a neutral thing it's that's actually not something i've ever thought about really i suppose if you just went based on wikipedia's page of famous people that like star trek it's it's not many but i don't know i don't know <laughs> Well, if they're famous, then they automatically don't belong to to the subsets that we're talking about. You know, to the, especially the very, very poor. Yeah. But I think I think having the luxury to be an adherent of that kind of a, a fantasy land is something that only well-to-do people can afford. Yeah, I see what you mean. And uh, my family was was pretty poor growing up. I mean, I mean, like we had welfare assistance for a little while. Uh, grew up in a pretty poor household, but still. Compared to the majority of the world, we had money. Yeah. I mean, we could afford things. By the time the next gen came on, we could afford cable. You can't be bad off if you can afford cable. I've I've said similar things to Allison over the last couple of weeks. Like, you, you don't get to sit in front of your iMac watching HDTV and say that we've not got any money. Really. that's That's just the way of the world. You can complain you've not got as much as you'd like, but we're we're not poor. It's, you know, uh, yeah. But I don't I don't know I don't know if if what the the social economic background of your average Star Trek viewer is. I don't know. I I imagine it apply, appeals to all kinds of people in lots of different countries, but I could be wrong. I'm sure it does. I'm probably talking out my ass. Ignore okay. what I've said for the past three minutes. Okay. I'll cut that. <laughs> I'll cut that. I, so just, I suppose, finishing off... Well, no, coming towards the end, I remember watching Voyager for the first time and being thoroughly unimpressed. Uh, cause no, that, 
did you jump in at the very beginning or catch it in the middle? No, I, I got in at the very beginning. Uh, I, I remember I actually borrowed the pilot episode on VHS. Again, that was one that was released on VHS before it was shown on television. And because Star Trek had gone to sky by that point, it, it, there, was no real, there was no big delay with Deep Space Nine and Voyager. They were, they were coming as you would expect them to arrive. And so, I mean, you know, the, there was that great period for that short time when we had three different types of Star Trek on TV at the same time. The, just the massive heyday of Star Trek. And just hating Captain uh, Janeway. Just hating the character. All, all everything. I, I feel bad because I'm sure Kate Morgrew's a nice lady and she does her best and that sort of thing. But I, I loathe that character. I really do. <laughs> I I feel bad because it's it's one of you. It's again it's a it's a minority captain, isn't it? It's one of the but it's a woman this time. Women can be captains, yeah. But I I wish they'd killed her at the end of the pilot episode, not because she's a woman, but just because she got them stuck there. You just wouldn't let that go. I wouldn't let that go. Not even that. It was just her personality. She was so uppity. She was so contrarian to everything. And so I'm going to stick it to you because I'm going to show you that my boobs are just as good as yours. Yeah. It was just too much. And I, I, I hated that character. I still hate that character. She, there was too little endearing about her. I've defended Voyager in the past because there are some good things to, to pull out of it. But I... Uh, I I kind of got cherry-picked episodes, to be honest, because I didn't see it from the first uh, episode. I, di I didn't get the pilot first off. Um, Voyager came on when I was in college, so I had many, many more important things to do than watch Star Trek in college. Oh, the God, only yeah. times that I saw it were, you know, 2 a.m. reruns when I was up doing things that I shouldn't have been doing, and watching Voyager was one of them. Um, but also it was on a really, really low-rent channel, I'm not sure if you understand this, but the, in the United States, there are basically four big networks. Yeah. Um, ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox. Right. And at the tail end of the 90s, there was another one that tried to launch and tried to get into the – it tried to be the fifth major flag. It was called UPN, and it was just shitty. It had no budget. And this channel is still around. It's not called UPN anymore. It's called the CW. Um, it, it's 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 still a broadcast network, but it never succeeded in becoming one of the networks. Right. It's where things like the remake of 90210 go to die, or the Vampire Diaries. I've had in the past, I remember getting downloads of TV shows from BitTorrent and earlier with the UPN logo in the corner of the screen. And things like that. Your TV system still actually escapes me as to how it works. Really? Yeah. It makes, okay. compared to ours, it seemingly makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. I, uh, what don't you get? Let me, let me see if I can explain it to you. Well, the, the problem, what it actually seems is that the problem is we have five terrestrial broadcast TV channels. Five. Uh -huh. And for the first 20 odd years of my life, there were four. In okay. fact, no, when I was born, there were three. And that was it. There was no cable. There was no premium television. There was no satellite. You had three TV channels. That was it. <laughs> until, okay. until the early 80s when Channel 4 launched. And then sort of a couple of years later, we started to get satellite television. 
And so BBC One is Channel One. It always has been, it always will be. On any television system, whether you're watching cable or satellite or Freeview or, or whatever, Channel One is BBC One. And that's it. And that's the same in everybody's house. BBC Two is Channel Two. ITV is Channel 3 and Channel 4 is Channel 4. It's why it's called Channel 4. And it's why Channel 5 is called Channel 5. That's it. And they are 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5 on everything everywhere. And okay, yet, but your, your, your main channels, your main networks are all state-owned, right? Uh, no. No. BBC is... The BBC... Um, no. The, those, fo- those channels are state-funded, but not state-owned. Okay, so state-funded. So they would be the equivalent here, well, maybe, of PBS, but with much better programming. Kind, it's a, it's kind more of, of. A, public, a public station. Yeah, they are, they are public broadcasters. They are heavily regulated by the government in terms of the amount of types of shows that they have to produce. Uh, ITV, Channel 4, and Channel 5 are allowed to finance with advertising. The BBC is not allowed to uh, have advertising. And it's all the same channel all the way across the country, no matter where you live, whether it's all the way in the north, all the way in the south, all the way in the east, all the way in the west. It's all the same programming, yeah. same scheduling, Yeah, one signal that goes out. The only you might get, right, first of all, you'll get regional deviations as far as local news goes. So at 6 o'clock, the BBC 6 o'clock news is on, and that's the same for everybody. From 6.30 to 7 there's local news, and that is broken up into regions. So we get Yorkshire and Humberside news, and people down south will get a different one, and that, that sort of thing. That does vary. And occasion, okay. very occasionally, late at night, you might get situations where a Welsh-language program is on in Wales. But, okay, so I'm going to stop you there. You know how you get your news by regions? Yeah. News by region is the very basis for our television system. Because right. here's how it works. We're big. Yeah. We're really big. The United States is like Europe in size. Right. So we don't just have to cater to one country. We have to cater to 50 countries that are states, right? Easy concept to get. Yeah. So there's not one signal that goes out. What happens is that each little regional place that needed their own broadcast would open up a TV affiliate for the news and they would carry their local programming, but then they would sign up. They would, they would almost lease the content from the big guys. So you've got the the four major networks. Well, there there were really three from most of television history, CBS, ABC, NBC. Uh, and those three would sell their big programming, their expensive shows, their nightly news broadcasts like, uh, you know, Tom Brokaw and Dan Rather, the big guys. They would sell these big programs to the little affiliates. So um, you'd have sta- uh, channel 18 in Nebraska, you know, Topeka, Kansas, whatever it might be, would be a CBS uh, station. And in the same town, you might have channel four, whatever it might be. Uh, and that would might be an ABC station. So they would get different programming. They would buy from different sources. Right. Well, over the years, the different networks also started opening up their own affiliates. It's almost like a uh, McDonald's versus Burger King kind of thing. I see. But each of them have different things on their menu to sell you, and some of them are you can only get at the McDonald's in New York, and some of them you can only get at the McDonald's in Dallas. I see. So that's how it works. But then on top of that, once cable came into the picture, you didn't just have all these 
this huge network of broadcasting affiliates all over the country, all of a sudden you did have, just like you have, your homogenous channels, your TBS, which no matter where you are in the country, TBS is showing TBS shows. You got your ESPN, which no matter where you are in the country is showing ESPN shows. And that's what cable brought into it. So once cable came on the scene and started to become widely available, all of a sudden you had this boom where you went from basically four channels, CBS, ABC, NBC, and then Fox in the late 80s, to also regional channels like WGN in Chicago getting national exposure so that most places in the country can watch WGN. Or um, things like the Disney Channel getting launched. And it, from there, it was just everybody start your own TV channel. Now there's, I don't know, uh, five, six hundred channels that you can get depending on what package you buy. I uh, had a look at one point. It's remarkably cheap to start your own television channel in oh, this really? country. Yeah. Um, just in terms of getting something broadcast, getting it on the Sky Network, having it go out, you're looking at a setup cost of about half a million pounds, which while, okay, I, I'm not saying that's cheap as in I'll get two, but it's just far less than I thought you would probably need to set up a satellite-based television channel. But it does explain why there's so many crappy channels on it. I don't know about satellite, but if you wanted to have any kind of cable exposure here, it would be prohibitively expensive unless you're donald trump you're not going to start your own tv station right i mean tv channel we do get some weird stuff we really do i mean it's not exactly public access but there's some stuff that goes on there and you think this can't be going for much more than just the minimum amount to keep it existing i love the shows on those channels because you're just like what the hell is going on there's this one where these these three guys just sit around and shout to the lord and and they, they just shout. It's amazing. It's hilarious. And people phone in and go, Can you can you say a prayer for me for this? They go, Yeah, and they just start shouting with their arms in the air and then someone You've else got Ecclesiastics. It's, All right. it's hilarious. It really is. But it's Now we a- do have public access T V stations here and that's an entirely different thing where it's usually something that's um local government funded so that they can show their city council meetings and county commissioner meetings and library school board meetings, that sort of thing. They're trying to push this thing here at the moment. The, uh, God, what is it? The culture, the culture secretary, the guy in charge of culture, as if there is such a thing. But that dude wants there <laughs> to be sort of very, very localized television in the UK. Like, so Leeds will have a television channel and Manchester will have a television channel. Well, and it's, not, it's not a bad idea. It's just 40 years old. The, the only trouble with it is here is that Leeds and Manchester are within an hour's drive of each other. And the need for them to have <laughs> their own television channel each is somewhat limited. You know, it, it's, it's a little bit of overkill. And I think it's something that given the economic situation of the, the world at the moment, this is entirely the sort of thing that should be done online rather than on television. I think if if Brad if the government ran a Bradford based uh, or Leeds based website with video content, that would be a much more economical way of doing things than giving them a television channel. I'm trying to figure out in my head here. I'm counting down to see. Cleveland has seven or eight TV channels of its own, and then once you get about an hour to the west, you've got uh, Toledo has its own, and two hours to the south, you have Cleveland. Ha- or I'm sorry, Columbus has its own. 
but those are the major population centers in the state. So like um, for just to bring it back, Cleveland has its own ABC station, its right. own NBC station, its own CBS station, its own Fox station, its own CW station as its own Univision station, which is Spanish speaking, of course. Right. Um, it has two PBS stations, two public broadcasting stations. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that there's a couple that I'm forgetting, but I mean, that's, that's pretty much how it works. We had three channels until 1982. I've just looked it up. Three. I, I just remember being a kid trying to watch TV, looking for something on, you know, flick, 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 flick. There's nothing on. I do remember when I was seven or eight, we only had access to one channel because that's all that our antenna could pick up where we were. So, I mean, regardless of how many different stations there were sending out signals, our our shitty antenna in a valley between two hills Uh, was only picking up Woof TV from Scranton, Pennsylvania, which was not (laughs) even an affiliate. It was just a, a, a private little, hey, we'll show reruns of Big Trouble in Little China and the honeymooners and whatever else we can afford to buy which by the way taping big trouble in little china off of woof tv is how i got it awesome i i have so many memories of films and the adverts that they were intercut with because that's how we got films and the interstitials for stations too remember how they used to run those all the time yeah although again that wasn't something that we ever had as much as you until sky came along right sky very much brought an american style broadcasting over here and it, and it it has increased over the years you know we're not quite at, well no we are quite at the point where you now get pop-ups for the next show in the show you're watching which is it's starting to annoy the hell out of me <laughs> when i'm watching the office on comedy central you don't need to put a little thing up on the corner that says watch the office on comedy central because you know i'm watching it I think we're probably about 10 years in advance of you as far as those trends go because yeah. ours are taking up more and more and more real estate. If if you watch TBS, and I'm not sure, do you have any kind of TBS satellite feed over there? Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? No, I'm not, I'm not familiar with TBS. TBS is the Atlanta-based station that Ted Turner started, the, the guy who – oh, man, I'm going to screw this up too, but I think Ted Turner also started CNN. He did, and TNT and a couple of others. Right, but TBS was his baby. It originally was the Turner Broadcasting Station. Right, yeah. Um, but it has stayed really faithful to its mission for a long time. It does basically rerun shows. And when I was growing up, that meant happy days for two-hour blocks a day and Saved by the Bell for two-hour blocks a day and Charles in Charge. And it would just rotate these shows over and over and over again every single night. Well, now it's The Big Bang Theory for two hours a night and Friends for a couple hours and Seinfeld for a couple hours. So, I mean, if, if you're a fan of those kinds of shows, it's an awesome thing. You can just sit in front of these shows that you love that you can't find anywhere else and just shotgun them one after the other. Well, um, they, they have some really slick graphic designers, and I really like the aesthetics that they use, but they're starting to take up more and more screen real estate <laughs> each and every year. So they'll have these really fancy dancing graphics to go around and cut off the bottom third and, you know, one side of the screen. I assume... Coming up next. I assume at some point a study has been done that has shown that this positively affects your audience. Or otherwise they wouldn't do it. I mean, because it is a very obtrusive thing. 
Oh, of course. And so clearly, I, I assume somebody somewhere has sat with a room full of people watching television with little yes or no buttons in their hand or whatever. And they've done it. You By doing this, you will piss off X amount of your audience, but Y amount will watch the next program. Mm-hmm. And they've decided that's a good idea to do that. So I, I would hope that before it gets too horrible, they'd stop it, but we'll see. I've seen some atrocious ones. One's where the show just shrinks into half the screen and the other half becomes an ad for the next show now on the other hand it's also being used for good not just evil because a lot of times what especially going back to tbs what they'll do with um friends you have seen the friends opener and the friends closer thousands of times you do not need to see that fucking theme song one more time so during the theme song they'll mute the the theme credits they'll jump into the show on the other half of the screen and then eventually the credits will disappear. Really? I've never seen that, but that yeah, is a good so, idea. Well, it, it saves them a lot of time. It saves you having to listen to the Rembrandts one more time, and then they can fit in, like, maybe one more commercial. It's that That's a good idea. I mean, and I've actually been thinking of, of a similar issue as we've been watching King of the Hill, where there's, like, 500, how many? 259 episodes. I'm hearing that theme tune at the beginning and at the end of every episode. And there's some that, you know, just counting the hundreds and hundreds of times I've heard that 30 second piece of music. The refreshments were great. I'm so, so sad that that band is gone. I don't know anything else they ever did. I only just found out that it was actually, it's a named piece of music, that theme tune. Yeah. It's, it's not just the theme tune to King of the Hill. It is something. The Refreshments did uh, a song called Banditos that directly talked about Jean-Luc Picard and the United Federation of Planets. All right. I if we want to talk up. about Star Trek. We should get back <laughs> to the end of it. I have, I, I, we're pushing the end of uh, a time frame, but I have one last story about a beginning of Star Trek, and that's the beginning of Enterprise and the first time I saw that. I have not seen one single episode of Enterprise. It's just never done anything for me. I would love to know your opinion of it. I really would. Because I think it had some excellent aspects and some appalling aspects. I think it had the best season one of any any incarnation of Star Trek. Season one is brilliant. It really is good. Uh, and, it, and it's also uh, the series where they tried an entire season story arc. Which you won't get anywhere else in Star Trek. That is on Netflix as well. Maybe I'll maybe I'll sit down and watch like the first four or five of them, and then we can do a follow up episode in a, in a month or so. Yeah, give them a go. I'd be I'd be very interested to to hear your thoughts. But the problem that stands out, I just remember the the first time I got to see Enterprise. It, again, it was another download off the internet, and it was I was at university i was living in in wakefield tristan was in the house mike was in the house we there were i had a lot of friends who were ready to watch this for the first time and my parents had just gotten broadband so i went home one weekend downloaded this episode on broadband um and brought it back for everyone to watch and i remember we were all sat on my the bed in my room with the computer on the desk at the end of the room watching it starting and the pre-credit sequence rolls, and we absolutely loved it. That was brilliant. And we're all sort of grinning at each other. And then the theme tune starts. It's been a long time. An absolute silence befell the room. Everyone just stunned. 
and I and I remember is the the second it laughed, we all just it finished. We all just looked at each other, and you get that nervous laugh of I expect. Well, this is just the pilot episode. I I expect that's just a temporary soundtrack, and 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 maybe the next one we watch will be will replace it with some real music. Surely, Let, let's just watch the show and enjoy it and forget that that happened. And then the feeling the next week as I returned home from that drive to Doncaster where I'd once again gone and downloaded episode two, as we realised that was not a temporary soundtrack. That was what they thought was good. And uh, we we all nearly cried a little bit, I think, that day. It was as if we'd lost something so important. You know, I said that I've never seen one single episode of Enterprise. Yeah. I did tune in for the pilot, saw that song... And said, well, fuck this, and turned it off. <laughs> yeah. And they'd removed Star Trek. It wasn't Star Trek Enterprise, it was Enterprise. Right. And it was just like, what the hell have they done? What have they done? They've turned it into Beverly Hills 90210 or something awful like that. They've they've taken away everything good, but it turned out all right. The theme tune never recovered, but what can you do? Did they not eventually change it, even yeah. in the third season? Yeah, they added a bossa nova Latin beat to it. Oh, so they they changed it for the worse. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. And, and they didn't even re-record it. It was blatantly just the, Ru- the Russell Watson vocal track that they'd put over another band recording. Do you think that they did that with a sense of humor, saying, hey, we can get away with it, we're going to get cancelled at the end of the season anyway? No, I think they did it and meant it. I think they genuinely thought it was good. I was. Str- I remember being straight onto the forums of the time, <laughs> and and seeing the argument of does anyone else think this is an awful theme tune? Hit back with thousands of no. This is the best Star Trek theme tune there could ever be. <laughs> like what? The world's gone mental. It's terrible. And then as time has gone on, it's kind of been like the Phantom Menace that, in the years as as the years have passed, more and more people have sort of yeah, it's rubbish. Yeah, they shouldn't have done that. As if it's a song. And everyone makes fun of it. In fact, put it this way. Of all the email I ever received from Make It So listeners, no one ever emailed in to defend the opening credits music of that show. So, that's it. Had an email about every other aspect of Star Trek. Except that. Everyone agrees. It was terrible. So, yeah. Rich, we did a good job tonight. I think we did, didn't we? We we stayed on target almost the entire time. Yeah. And even when we strayed, it was just to talking about television. Now, we had intended to talk about our first experiences with a, the, the broader world of science fiction. And I think that that's something we can still do in the future. So I'm going to keep it on the list of possible shows for the future. Good idea. But I really liked Star Trek. I'm glad we talked about this. Do you know, I am too, and it, it's made me want to start watching it all again and and do make it so and that sort of thing and it happens every time maybe i just reached my saturation point with it and i needed time to to lose it again in my experience you reach the saturation point a lot faster every time you try a watch through because uh, when it came on netflix i did try watching tng all the way through and i just couldn't do it i loved that show when i was little i mean i had an unhealthy fascination with it but I've seen it probably, this would have been the third try all the way through, and this time I just started skipping the ones that I knew were bad. Just couldn't force myself to to be a completionist about it. Yeah, there's too much other stuff to do in life now. And to to sit and watch all of the bad ones is is just a bit much. And I I do get, 
I, I kind of, when I got them all on DVD, I hit my wall just after the beginning of season seven. And in actual fact, I don't think I've ever gone back and watched the end of season seven. Maybe I just skipped to the last one. But I, it's maybe time. I think once they start coming out on Blu-ray at Christmas, I'll start going through them again. Because I've, I've got to get the next gen on Blu-ray. That was just the, the best looking Blu-ray I've ever seen, that sample disc. If for no other reason than to see what they did remaster and what they digitally upgraded. Yeah, uh, just to see what they've done and to count the hairs on Commander Riker's beard. It, it's honestly, I, I don't imagine, it didn't look that good when it was first on. It just didn't. It, it's incredible. If you are able to count all the hairs, you'll find that that's the holy number that unlocks all of the secrets of the universe. It is. It's the number of God. It's the number that the guy in the film <laughs> Pi is looking for. <laughs> That's what it is. <laughs> I'll get counting then. You know, when, when Lisa was pregnant and we hadn't yet figured out that it was a girl, I did raise briefly the possibility of naming a boy Riker. I would end up raising that issue myself also, I think. Shot down like a duck, Rich. Do you know what? It did come up when we were talking about names for the dog. <laughs> well, Barkley's not bad. I'm I'm quite happy with Barkley. I've I've never objected to that. It would that I will also take credit for that being my idea, but I agree with Alison. Riker works better for a bigger, angrier dog. It doesn't work for Barkley. Barkley is it, it's amazing how much he is in personality like the character he's named after. It's it's almost as if he's seen it and he understands it and he, he acts that way. But the personality of, of Lieutenant Barkley is very much the personality of our dog. Riker that's a German Shepherd, I think. That's a bigger, angrier dog, Riker. You know, when you just imagine standing on the hill yelling for that name for the dog to come back, that's a that's a big dog you think is going to come running. I think a good way to end the show is to point out that my dog is named after Pete Maverick Mitchell from Top Gun. He is as well, isn't he? <laughs> Which is awesome. It really is. We have some good dog names. It's good, that. I like that. So then, that's the end of our show for this week. If you want to get on the forums and suggest any other topics, I don't know if we've got any on there at the moment. I think there is. The forums are at simplysyndicated.com slash forums, or there's a big forum button at the top pe- top of the front of the website. You'll find it. You're clever people. You know where it is. So come on and discuss this with us. I'd be interesting, interested to see some other people's first experiences of Star Trek. And see how they got on and how that compares to how we saw it. Because it is such an important thing. I really think it is. Everybody should watch and love Star Trek. Especially it would be interesting to see if there are some contrasts between some of the older guys and some of the, maybe the teenagers. You know, the, the kids who are into the podcasts. Yeah, who's into, if, if you're getting into Star Trek in the last few years, how do you do it? I you don't know? understand that. There's... What's the what's the gateway drug for Star Trek these days? I I don't even know where you would go. Exactly. It, it's it's still on TV a lot, so maybe people just discover it. I don't know, but there's certainly nothing pushing anyone there. So get on the forum and, and tell us what you think. Or email us, remastered at simplysyndicated.com. That goes through to both of us. And or if yeah. you have an idea for a different show topic, there's a thread for that in our forum too. Go to simplysyndicated.com backslash forums. Remastered has its own thread. Drop in there. Let us know what we should talk about in the future. 
Awesome. And also, don't forget, if you've enjoyed this show, go and share it with your friends. Go and retweet us. Go and share us on Facebook, all that sort of thing. If you want some help doing that, there's some icons you can click on at the bottom of every blog post on simplysyndicated.com that will share those to all the popular social networking sites and the like. It's dead easy, and it helps us out so much. Almost as much as donating some money or buying something from the store, all of which you can find details of on simplysyndicated.com. It helps us out so much, and it's how we keep things running. So if any help you can offer us is very much appreciated and needed. So thank you. And yes, thank you to all the people who have been donating. It's awesome, and yeah, thank you. Is that everything for now? I think that got every single thing that we needed to tick off the list. Awesome. I'm learning. I'll get the hang of this podcasting thing one day. <laughs> I think you've done a pretty good job. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, then, everybody. We'll be back next week with another exciting remastered. We sure will. Looking forward to seeing you then, Rich. Have a great week. Bye-bye. <laughs>